0: Patients may not do what we ask them to do, no matter what it is. It might be pills. It might be lifestyle change. It's up to us as physicians to create the programs and the relationships and the, the ongoing kind of like touch points to help them meet those goals and continue with if it's their medication that they need, that they're still taking it. But from a lifestyle medicine standpoint, that these behaviors become a part of their everyday, normal you know, life, and then they will maintain them over time,
1: realize That you have to, as a provider or as a patient that cares about this, arm yourself with as much information as possible. And that's what the workshop is for.
2: This is the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast, and I'm your host, Maya Acosta. If you're willing to go with me, together we can discover how simple lifestyle choices can help improve our quality of life. Let's get started. The American College of Lifestyle Medicine has seen an increased rate of growth over the last five years. With now over 8,000 members, over 2,000 American Board of Lifestyle Medicine diplomats, 82 residency programs implementing the Lifestyle Medicine Residency Curriculum, and 86 medical schools with lifestyle medicine interest groups. Join me as Dr. John McHugh and Dr. Megan Grega give us 10 reasons why you should attend the Lifestyle Medicine Conference this November. And make sure that you sign up ASAP because this year they are capping their registration at 1,900 attendees. As always, the full bio and the links for each of my guests can be found on the podcast website. That's HealthyLifestyleSolutions.org. Also, have you signed up for our newsletter? This is where I send information about every episode that we release, along with information of upcoming programs, and I include recipes in our newsletter. Well, you can do so at bit.ly. B-I-T forward slash Maya Acosta. And when you do, you get a copy of our guide on preventing cardiovascular disease through lifestyle improvements, which also includes 10 of our favorite recipes. I hope that you enjoy this episode. Dr. John McHugh, he's a graduate of the Harvard Medical School and the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and a fellow of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. He has always placed wellness at the center of his work delivering babies and improving practice standards. After 27 years practicing ob he will become the vice chair of the American College of ob for California and co-chairs the Preconception Healthcare Council of California. And for the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, he co-chairs the Women's Health Group and with Dr. Megan Grega has helped select the program for this November's annual Lifestyle Medicine meeting. And then, of course, I have Dr. Megan Grega, and she is the co-founder and chief medical officer of the Kellen Foundation, which is a 501c3, which is a nonprofit dedicated to making the healthy choice the easy choice. Kellen provides school-based healthy lifestyle education and garden-as-a-classroom programs. It supports access to nutrient-dense produce via the Eat Real Food mobile market and Lehigh Valley Corner Store initiatives. It engages participants in hands-on plant-based cooking classes in community settings and offers intensive therapeutic lifestyle change um, interventions for individuals and families. And Dr. Grega is also a fellow of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And I'm so excited that both of you are here to join us. Welcome. Thank you.
1: Thank
2: you, Maya. So uh, you can probably hear it in my voice. I'm very excited. For our listeners, I just want to explain uh, briefly what a fellow is. So a fellow is an individual who has contributed outstanding achievement in the field of lifestyle medicine and unwavering and exceptional dedication to advancing the college's mission. So congratulations to both of you for all the work that you've been doing.
1: Congratulations, (laughs) Megan. Oh, you
0: too, John. (laughs) Go team.
2: So before we talk about the conference, um, I'd love for your, both of you to share a little bit more about yourselves with our listeners. I did say before we started recording that we have uh, a lot of new listeners and many people that are new to this idea of lifestyle medicine. So that's why I'm excited that both of you are here to talk about that. All right, Dr. Grega, would you like to tell us about the Kellum Foundation, if you have any updates and anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners?
0: Well, thanks, Maya. Absolutely. So, Kellan Foundation, as usual, is uh, rocking and rolling out in the community because uh, that's basically the mission for Kellan Foundation is to bring lifestyle medicine approaches out into the places where people live, work, and play. And we do that through our Healthy Neighborhood Immersion Strategy, which has four main parts. One is the Kellan Lifestyle Medicine that has to do with intensive therapeutic lifestyle change programs that we do for families and individuals. Uh, but we always do them out in like kind of locations in the community, like workplace. Places or schools or things like that, and then there's the Kellen Schools, which is actually healthy lifestyle programming for elementary school students in third and fourth and fifth grade. And we also do the Garden as a Classroom program, where we build school gardens and we grow food with the kids, and everybody gets a chance to get their hands in the soil and you know enjoy some of the food that they grow. Um, then there's Kellen Kitchens, which is whole food plant-based cooking classes out in the community that we do six to eight week sessions. Everybody gets to cook together, get to eat together, try new things, you know, enjoy the, the community, the social connection. And then there's the Eat Real Food mobile market, which is the the um, food access piece, which is taking fruits and vegetables and whole grains and healthy, prepared lifestyle medicine, plant powered meals out into the community, especially in areas that kind of have lack access to healthy food like that in our community. So at this time of year, we have the market out to 15 sites uh, every week. Last year, we actually sold over 144,000 pounds of food in our neighborhoods that kind of lack access to a grocery store. So things are going really well. And we're looking forward to uh, Lehigh Valley Vegstock, which is coming up on October 8th. That's a big uh, festival, kind of a healthy harvest festival to celebrate healthy lifestyles, healthy food, uh, lots of music, some lifestyle medicine lectures. So if anybody's in the Lehigh Valley on October 8th, come and hang out with us at Vegstock.
2: That sounds wonderful. It sounds so exciting. I've said it before when you were here last time that I love that you're educating children. So children get to have this hands on experience when it comes to gardening and also just being involved in the kitchen. Of course, this is local uh, what you're doing, but are there other educational programs that people may have access to say if they're, uh, outside of your area?
0: We do have a Kellen YouTube channel and we put up some of our cooking, um, things for there. Uh, and you could also check on our website, which is www.kellen, which is dot org, And, um, there's some, uh, media pieces there, like my TED talk on why lifestyle is the best medicine and things like that. And for anybody in the area, the VegStock uh, website is vegstock, org.
2: Okay, thank you. Dr. McHugh, you've been on the podcast a couple of times, but this last conversation we had was all about preconceptual health. Is there anything you'd like to share with us about the Women's Health Interest Group and anything that's coming up related to Lifestyle Medicine's conference?
1: Well, first of all, I just want to say, Dr. Grega must be doing something right in terms of eating and sleeping to be able to have all that energy to do all that great work that she's doing. (laughs) Uh, I think it's fantastic. Um, You know, one thing I do want to say, Maya, is uh, one of the things that really drew me to the conference in the first place and some of the work that I'm really doing now is trying to be a doctor to the doctors. It's amazing how unhealthy many physicians are. And I think it's really important work. As I step into a higher level leadership role with ACOG, one of the first things that we're doing is we're doing a webinar on physician burnout. Uh, Physician suicide is twice the rate of the general public. It's tragic. I think the population looks at us as being the healthiest and the the most well, and we're often not. And I think that uh, I'll just admit something as an OBGYN, that's a real issue, I think, for female physicians, because often they're full-time moms, as well as full-time doctors. And that can be a real, real push. So that's one of the things we're working on that we're really excited about. I know that you had Michelle Thompson also on recently to talk about menopause. She's leading one of our subcommittees within women's health. And these are really important issues that we'll get to talk about at the meeting as well.
2: Such important topics. And I'm glad that you brought up the whole physician burnout aspect of it. And what I hear from other healthcare experts or providers, that when they come into this content of lifestyle medicine, they all of a sudden feel revived. It's a different perspective as, a, as opposed to an individual who's been kind of um, going in the same cycle of having limited access to their patients, only having a small window of time to share uh, what other things that The patients can do to improve their health. And so, lifestyle medicine gives them a whole new way of approaching medicine. So, as a matter of fact, as we talk about the conference, there's this question that I want to pose. Again, I said um, that we have new listeners who may not be aware of everything that lifestyle medicine entails, but I'd like for either one of you to answer this question as we talk about the conference Why is it important for our healthcare providers to receive education in lifestyle medicine?
1: How long? How long do we have, Maya?
0: <laughs> I know. I was going to say we could we could go through quite a bit there, John. Do you want to start, and I'll I'll, I'll pick up? Uh, but it sounds like that's an you know, area that is big focus for all of us.
1: Big big focus for all of us. And I, you know, I I think I was on your podcast earlier, Maya, and talked about how unhealthy our hospital call rooms are. A few bags of Cheetos. Lots of noises and lights that are on all night long. So, so no one can get any rest. Our patients aren't getting any rest, but I'll tell you a story about the conference that, um, I thought was interesting. I heard a little bit, you, you, you know, this guy, Michael Greger. This is his t-shirt here. I've got it under my white coat to really show that I've got both layers here going on. Um, I was really inspired by his work. Um, and I came out, didn't know anybody to the first lifestyle medicine conference in 2018. And, um, They actually had that men's room was on another floor, so I had to go upstairs. And up there was a uh, software conference, a lot of guys my age, and the contrast between the health and wellness of those attendees and the ACLM conference was so stark. It was amazing to me. And to be honest with you, the software engineers looked a lot like most physician conferences in America. We physicians are often the, the, the least healthy people. I find it odd as an OBGYN, how do I talk to patients about sleep when they can see dark circles under my eyes? We know that patients can see right through that. So we're not doing a good job of addressing it right now. And I'll leave that to Dr. Greg to add her thoughts on it.
0: <laughs> oh, thanks, John. But I agree. I mean, when you think about it, would you go to a financial planner who's bankrupt? Yeah. Probably not, right? And so here we are as physicians, you know, uh, kind of saying, do as I say, not as I do. And that is not uh, necessarily going to resonate as strongly with our patients. But also when you talk about us as a, as a physician tribe, you know, all of us as colleagues together, and it's not just physicians, it's our allied health providers as well. We're often put in situations where obviously the patient is most important. Getting the work done is really, really important, but where, uh, wellness, resilience, taking care of our own needs as human beings is kind of downplayed because it's like, well, when, when you have time for that, maybe you should go meditate or, you know, when you have time for that, you should maybe go for a walk out in nature, but first you better make sure that you're, you know, that your charts are done and that all the patients are done. And I feel like uh, the college of lifestyle medicine and definitely the conference is a place where you get to be surrounded by pioneers, innovators, people who are like, this system needs to change. And it can change. It's not a law of nature that we have set up things this way. It is something that we as a society have chosen to do in healthcare, both the way we treat patients and the way doctors treat themselves. So that's one of the things for me, whenever I go to the conference, it's just so inspiring to be around so many people who are really trying to move the needle on physician wellness, and also new approaches for, uh, for patient care and ways to really, as uh, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine always says, prevent, treat, and even sometimes reverse chronic disease. I find that physicians who and um, allied health providers that sort of jump into this arena, they find that they are still working very hard, but they are much more inspired and satisfied and happy with the way that their life is going.
2: Also, um, we're going to talk about the statistics and the growth of, uh, of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, but there is a statistic that I find very intriguing that some of our listeners may not know that lifestyle medicine, the practice of lifestyle medicine and their six pillars can address up to 80% of chronic disease um, and even covers areas such as health equity. As we know, there are many individuals who do not have access to Health care, health insurance uh, may have mobility issues, but lifestyle medicine can address a lot of these gaps that we have uh, when it comes to disparities. Let's talk about the growth. Where are we today in terms of numbers and memberships? Well,
0: the American College of Lifestyle Medicine is growing like crazy. So it was only founded in 2004. So Dr. McHugh and I were doctors for a long time before (laughs) there even was a College of Lifestyle Medicine, Uh, and I think we were both very happy to find when that actually became a thing where we could all kind of gather together in a professional organization but its growth has been absolutely phenomenal to the point where we're now up to over 8000 members in the American College of Lifestyle Medicine but the growth has really taken off in the last couple of years i think that you know it took a little while it was kind of level level and then it shot up because it's like we we met a or we reached a critical mass of people hearing about lifestyle medicine and so many people saying that's exactly what I've been wanting to do now I have a tribe of people that I can can do it with would you have uh, anything to add to that
1: well, wouldn't you say I mean the pandemic was very interesting because a lot of us were at home and a lot of us were dealing with our health and wellness and I would say a lot of us actually came out of this even healthier a lot of America didn't which is unfortunate but I think a lot of us had the time to learn about the things that we really have wanted to learn about since we went into medical school. I know I did. Yeah.
0: And you know, when you, when you say the medical school, I'm glad you brought that up because this is such a big, exciting topic for medical students. Um, I'm one of the faculty preceptors for a lifestyle medicine interest group at our medical school, which is uh, Temple St. Luke's. But all across the country, I think we have over 80 medical schools now that have lifestyle medicine interest groups. Like this is a type of medicine that young doctors want to practice. So, I, I mean, I've I've been amazed and very pleased with the growth of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine membership. Over over the last, let's say, you know, 10 years, but I think it's going to just explode as these young doctors start to get into their careers and they say, yes, this is the type of medicine I want to practice, even though they're still going to have other specialties, you know, like, uh, John's a OBGYN, I'm a family doc, but the, the using lifestyle medicine as the main focus of the initial foundation of treatment for patients, I think is going to be very, very, um, it's going to resonate with the new young doctors that are coming up.
1: Dr. Greg and Maya, could you imagine starting your career like that, like from day one, having this to stand on? It would be incredible, right?
0: Yeah. And what if it actually then also going back to your point about the, uh, the physicians themselves, that you weren't just taught as a medical student to do this for your patients. You were
2: taught to do it for yourself mm-hmm. as well. Absolutely. Very exciting. I love the idea of the young uh, physicians getting involved. I remember meeting, um, a young physician who invited us at the time, 2019. My husband was speaking at local medical school. She invited us to her campus, um, in Galveston and she wanted him to speak with her, her group about Cardiovascular disease and lifestyle medicine. And she herself um, was already on board. She started a chapter of Walk with a Future Doc. It's just so exciting to know. And then I saw her at the conference in 2019, and I'm thinking, wow, you're going to be an amazing physician who's really going to empower your patients. This is wonderful. Dr. McHugh talked about um, the pandemic. And I I thank you for bringing that up as well, because a lot of us, like myself, you know, who are not in medicine, understood that at least the message was conveyed that people with existing core morbidities were a higher risk for having complications as a result of COVID nineteen. And so that was something that I initially really held on to at the beginning, saying, Okay, we're we're doing something right. Even though we ourselves did get COVID, my husband had an exposure at his hospital. Um, and we did get sick, but we were able to go through it. And as a result of that, we're taking better better care of ourselves because we don't know what the future holds in in terms of other viruses and things that we can be exposed to. To Either one of you want to talk about that briefly?
1: You know, Right to start off um, uh, this, um, we're so happy to be able to get back together in person. There were a couple of years where we were getting close and we couldn't do it and getting close and couldn't do it. American College of Lifestyle Medicine certainly advocates vaccination, just like mainstream medicine does advocate for that. But we do know that diet alone confers about an 80% risk reduction in risk to patients. We do know for years that a healthy good night's sleep is going to decrease your risk of viral infections. We studied this with the cold virus. So these are things that we can all bring into our lives. We've got great speakers coming on sleep. I'm really excited about Dr. Robbins. We're going to talk about sleep. And we've got certainly you know, Colin Campbell, Dean Ornish, there alone, you've got great speakers on nutrition. So I think anybody that wants to or all of us are going to go into this world going forward where we're still at risk for COVID. Why don't we try to improve our own health as much as possible? And you can learn so much at this meeting. Dr. Greger, what do you think?
0: Yes, I agree. And I, I think it was really shocking to a lot of people. Maybe it shouldn't have been. We probably should have uh, seen it coming because chronic inflammation is kind of the root cause of a lot of of disease. And then when COVID-19 hit, uh, obviously people who have a underlying level of chronic inflammation would maybe be more at risk but we saw it in spades I would say because when we when we look at some of the data that came out as far as getting hospitalized for covid-19 so not necessarily whether you got it or not that was that was kind of up to who did you come in contact with? And this was pre-vaccine, uh, data, but it was, if you got it, if you came in contact with it, how likely were you to have a mild course, a moderate course, a severe course, what was your risk of getting hospitalized? When they found that two thirds of your, your attributable risk of hospitalization came down to obesity, diabetes, heart failure, uh, chronic kidney disease, things like that. So things that were, uh, Issues with, with chronic disease going into the pandemic. And if we can kind of help everybody, our patients, ourselves get to a more resilient physical state before another pandemic happens, besides the fact that in a way, when you think about it, there's a pandemic of heart disease at this point all the time that we, that we don't talk about in that way. But it's, it's a similar level of, um, morbidity mortality that We know that changing people's trajectory as far as their chronic disease, helping them get healthier with all the things that Dr. McHugh talked about, sleep, stress management, healthier, uh, more plant-based, anti-inflammatory diet, physical activity, that's just going to make us so much more resilient to whatever comes down the pike, because we don't really know what the next thing's going to be.
1: I just wanted to add, um, there's there's an old school medical publication, and the title of it is something like, What's Wrong With Vegans? Their white blood cell count is too low. They must be missing some nutrient. And what we learned over time is we're actually not inflamed all the time from eating that standard American diet, right? It's everyone else who has too many white blood cells because they're too inflamed all the time.
2: So I wanted uh, to kind of paint a picture in terms of what lifestyle medicine is for new listeners. So we're talking about using food as medicine, exercise as medicine, stress management, which can entail yoga, meditation, um, building healthy relationships. This is almost like blue zone living, which we've spoken about before. And also Dr. Michelle Tollefson is going to come on to talk about blue zones. And so these are all the different things that we can look forward to and learn about in um, at the conference. And there are strategic partnerships that happen here. And I just wanted to name a few things, a few of them. So there's the American College of Preventive Medicine, American College of Sports Medicine, the Institute of Advancing Health Value, the, the Root Cost Coalition. I mean, there are so many ways that the American College of Lifestyle Medicine is helping to educate people. ACLM is the only national organization to offer its members high quality standardized lifestyle medicine curriculum and certification. My husband and I, like I said, we have already signed up, we've already registered for the conference, and we're very strategic in in terms of who's going to attend what, because we want to be able to bring this back home and help educate. He educates his patients, and I bring this information on the podcast. So uh, who wants to start with in terms of what we can look forward to at the in-person lifestyle medicine conference?
0: Well, let me just jump in before we talk about what you can look forward to. What you just said there is one of the things that I think is really awesome about this year's conference. So, Maya, you said you and your husband are strategic about like who goes to what session. And, and I get that because there's so much good stuff going on that like, no, you don't want to miss it. There, there's so many things happening. We've got the keynotes, but we also have concurrent sessions, which is four different lectures running at the same time on our different tracks that, um, that we've, sort of built for this year. Now you don't have to sign up for a track, but that just means there's going to be a wide variety of lectures going on during those sessions. And in the past we had heard from our members, you know, it was so hard to choose, you know, like I'd want to be at this lecture, but there was another one at the same time that I really wanted to see. And so what we're excited about this year is that we've been able to, we'll be able to offer to people who come in person they will get to see the in-person lectures that they're there uh, down in Orlando and you know hang out with everybody, have the great food, have the networking. But then they will also have access to all of the recorded sessions of all the lectures for, I believe it's going to be 60 days. We are still figuring it out. But when you get home, you can watch some of the other sessions that you didn't get to see before. So not only does that give you the opportunity from an education standpoint to learn that stuff, for those of us that need CME credits... You can actually get significantly more CME credits than you would be able to just sitting in the lecture because you'll be able to go home, watch some of it as an asynchronous content and do the things that you need to do for that. So I think that's going to be the best of both worlds. Come to the conference and then take a look at the stuff that's recorded that you weren't able to see because there was so much going on.
2: Absolutely. That's actually wonderful. I'm so glad that it's being offered this way, because I do feel sometimes that I miss out. Before we learned about lifestyle medicine, I would travel with my husband and we would try to combine a conference in vascular surgery with a vacation. And it's such a beautiful thing that I can now do this with him. I don't have a background in medicine, but I love that I can come together with other, say, life coaches or advocates who are supporting people in their area and learn this stuff. Plus, I can also support our patients as well. So I'm excited that I can attend as well.
1: And I just wanted to add, you know, it's certainly open to people from all different backgrounds and people can pick and choose just as Dr. Grega said, but the one thing you can't get once you go home is the food and you also can't get the networking. So I'd almost argue you could go just enjoy the great food, meet great people and watch everything at home if you want to, right? I wouldn't recommend it. That's not what I'm doing, but you could do it certainly. (laughs) You can't take the food. On the plane.
2: Yeah. That's for sure. (laughs) I also heard that there's a run that starts in one of those mornings. So there's physical exercise and there's also yoga classes in the morning. So there's lots of ways to to be active during the conference.
0: And uh, it's the same hotel that we were in in 2019. So it's the, the Rose and Jingle Creek. And it's gorgeous there. You can just like take a, take a little stroll outside around the hotel grounds and everything in between sessions. So you can get a little bit of that physical activity in and then get your brain all refreshed, go back in and learn some more cool stuff.
2: Hmm. I, and I also want to add, in, in terms of what we were talking about, um, the networking is so important because many collaborate collaborative opportunities develop as a result. As more and more people are practicing telemedicine or telehealth as a result of this pandemic that we went through, uh, we're finding that people want to connect in different areas. So if you're a gastroenterologist or you're a health coach or you have a background in exercise physiology, whatever it may be, you might be able to connect with The right people who are offering this content via, like telehealth, Uh, for us, one of the things that we're looking forward to in terms of one of the workshops is reimbursement. Um, We've also been talking about as my husband kind of moves away from vascular surgery, we'd love to open a practice that fosters lifestyle medicine. So, how do you do that? I feel like there might be um, healthcare providers who are listening who might want to be part of a practice someday that really has a team in place that supports lifestyle medicine.
0: And I was going to say, John, go ahead and say, like, I wanted to say, what are the things that you're most excited about to see? Because it kind of plays into what Maya is saying there. So I know when you looked at the agenda, you said it was like a dream come true. So, you know, what are you excited yeah. about? I,
1: I think my specific words were, I, I felt like a kid on Christmas day. Like you run down and you're like, oh my God, we have all these presents. The tree is full. You know, one <laughs> one thing I, <laughs> I was thinking about earlier is you can go to this at all different levels. You know, I think that Colin Campbell and Dean Ornish will be at the 20,000 foot level talking about what they've seen over decades doing this work. But there's some really exciting work happening at that nuts and bolts level, and I wouldn't want to miss it. The person I work with the most that I'm the most excited about, Padmasha Patel, has been leading our group on two things. Uh, One is actually looking at the quality indicators. Can you believe it that for years, if a doctor was successful with diet and sleep, and they got a patient off antihypertensives, they might get dinged for not prescribing medications to a patient with high blood pressure when they cured them without medication. So we're working on changing that. Um, David Donahue is uh, leading a workshop as well. John Gobble is leading a workshop as well on reimbursement. So we've got a lot of people looking at the nuts and bolts of how we do this. Uh, Last year, we had all the surgeon generals talking to us they're very excited about about this work as well
0: and i would i would add to that the shared medical appointment workshop. so yeah. Yeah. there's that's another one of the nuts and bolts so uh, there's a lot no matter what sort of practice situation that you're in that you're thinking about trying to to you know get off the ground or that you just want to do some tweaks in the practice that you already have there's a variety of workshops and actually concurrent sessions and keynote speakers that I I like the way you said that, Dr. McHugh, like there's going to be the 20,000 feet view. And those in a way are kind of our keynotes. You know, they're, they're up there talking about the big issues, talking about the future of medicine or talking about, you know, like some cool stuff like Marion Nestle is one of our, um, our keynotes. Will, uh, Will Sawitz is one of our keynotes and he's the fiber fueled guy. So we're going to have some like real star power, cool keynotes. But then we go down into the concurrent sessions and that's people just like uh, all of us on boots on the ground that are doing the work every day in their clinics, in their communities, and how are they doing it so that people can um, see some examples, some sort of roadmaps to follow.
1: I was going to say, Maya couldn't go there kind of, you know, TMZ style with a microphone and just kind (laughs) of get a few words out of some of these people right on the spot. Wouldn't that be exciting?
2: That would be awesome. I would love to do that. As a matter of fact, last month I was at the Tulsa Veg Fest. I had a booth to explain to people what podcasting is. So I was promoting my podcast, but I had my equipment ready to record. And what I was hearing from people were two different things. One is I'm on board with eating a more whole food plant-based lifestyle or diet. And this is what I've seen as a result of that. So that was one thing. And the other one was we need more of this information in our area. We need more people to get on board. And I feel that this is the way that we're able to showcase, to highlight, to promote the content is through podcasting by having people like yourselves, but also promoting the conference itself, because this is an opportunity for anyone, whether you're a dietitian, a health coach, a nurse, physician, if you're in healthcare, this is a wonderful way for you to learn this information. I have my list here of what um, workshops I would like to attend because I'm uh, deeply interested in health equity. That's one of the topics that I've been talking about on my podcast. And so um, I'd like to learn more about that. I have all the other books to learn as well, but definitely that one, Women's Health. And I think that is pre, is that pre-conference, Dr. McHugh?
1: That is pre-conference, yeah. It's before the conference. And it looks really exciting. Now you've had Michelle Thompson Olson on here, Mahima Galati, is also going to speak in Kaylee Anderson, who's going to be leading our women's health group. They're all speaking.
2: Okay. And also there's the culinary aspect. So cooking classes are always a lot of fun. Um, Sleep. You mentioned Dr. McHugh's sleep. That's very important to me. Many people were impacted As a result of the pandemic. So reverting to old ways, but also an increase in substance abuse and, of course, mental health issues.
1: One of the people I wanted to mention, who I got the opportunity to meet before, if anybody knows Jerome Adams, former Surgeon General of the United States, he came and spoke to us once at American College of OBGYN. And he actually is a physician himself. He's an anesthesiologist. Uh, And he said to us, you know, one of the things he learned going into politics You can't just kind of convince people by having the great journal articles. You've got to really go out and talk to people one-on-one, like you were talking about earlier, Maya, that I know the Kellen Foundation does every day. So what's great about this conference is we come and talk to people, We learn from someone like Jerome Adams, and then we bring it back into our communities to really create change.
2: Okay. I wanted to mention also the exhibitors.
1: The exhibitor I really loved from the last time I went to the conference, it was actually in Orlando the last time we had it live, um, was meeting the the people who are running Walk with a Doc group, uh, setting up a walking group, I think, in our community. As far as I know, there is a, is it a 3K or a 5K walking trail around the campus so we can start walking. But that's something I want to bring into my community now that I have a little bit more free time and bring that into my everyday routine and just get to talk to people. I don't know, you who would you like to see?
0: Well, I think there are so many amazing exhibitors that come all in support of this goal that we all have of making, well, this is what the Kellan Foundation says, making the healthy choice, the easy choice. And how do you do that If you're a physician trying to help your patients, or if you are a, for example, an employer who's trying to, you know, look at employee wellness, all these different things, so there's such a wide variety now of um, organizations that are focused on this type of assistance. So that assistance could be remote health coaching. It could be apps that help you know, um, like when you how your sleep is doing or or looking at your physical activity. It can also be things like uh, online cooking classes. Like there's so many different things now that it doesn't matter what area of the country you live in. Virtually, you can connect to a lot of these types of resources. So I think that. Um, One of the other things though, I always love at the exhibitor hall is that our physicians in training have their, you know, their booth set up and they're, they're talking it up to all the the medical students and residents that are walking by and saying, this is why you want to get involved in lifestyle medicine. So I always like to stop by their booth and find out what's going on in the, uh,
2: in the world of the young physicians. Exactly. Also, this is an opportunity for anyone who wants to be board certified to attend the conference and then the exam takes place. Is it the next day after things wrap up?
0: I believe it is the next day. That's what it has typically been. And that's another great example of, a, of an exhibitor that you want to stop by and talk to is the American Board of Lifestyle Medicine so that you can get more information about, like, what are the requirements? What are the, the benefits of being board certified in lifestyle medicine? You know, what's the path? Uh, it's been amazing to see the increase, at least in my, my medical world. Uh, and I'd be interested to hear what Dr. McHugh says about this too, is the increase in acceptance in these approaches. Lifestyle medicine approaches with the board certification um, exam, and now that being a additional certification that can be pursued because I think it gives a level of uh, like scientific rigor or evidence based, you know, like kind of blessing to the to this to the field, and it helps people to see like, oh, this is you know, somebody had a t-shirt. I said, and I thought it was hilarious. It said lifestyle medicine. It's not magic. It's science. I was like, yes. Exactly. <laughs> <I> <laughs> so know. that's kind of the thing, like the board, the board exam and having that board certification, It, it has, it's a credential that means something, you know, like it, it shows that you have put in the, the effort and you've learned some of the, the foundational literature and you understand some of how do you implement this in practice. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very helpful thing for anybody who is interested in pursuing um, a career where they have lifestyle medicine as a big piece of their practice.
1: Mm-hmm. There's about 2,000 providers who are certified now, who are board certified, who have done it. There's an active debate going on. Should ultimately this be something like to become a cardiologist? Uh, I don't know that. I think it's it's good right now where it's very, very inclusive and bringing a lot of people in. Um, but what I feel like is the more I talk to people... I find a lot of patients are burned out by the the kind of quackery out there. A lot of people are just trying to sell supplements or something that really is not evidence-based. And I think having that credential, the ABLM credential, really says you're standing on the shoulders of giants, you're really standing on the research that's been done, and you're advocating for things that work for patients.
2: That whole team approach is so beautiful and it encourages the individual and the individual feels supported. And along those lines, how to deprescribe medications. So I
0: absolutely agree with you that this is a team-based sport. You know, lifestyle medicine is is works best in teamlets because the physician uh, or provider is the kind of overarching, I guess you'd say almost like the quarterback, you know, saying, "Okay, this is the play that we need to play." So everybody go out and do your piece of it, but I mean, the, the, um, incredible contribution of our health coaches or our medical assistants who are like checking in on the patients and, uh, definitely the dietitians. And I would definitely say behavioral counselors. That's another piece that's really important, uh, and exercise physiologists. Then you've got this whole tribe helping the person make the changes, but you still have that, uh, easy access to. The physician, if all of a sudden you need to de-prescribe their hypertensive medicines or their diabetes medicines, uh, and as as things are going, it's like you basically now have this whole consulting team around you. And I think that has been the most effective approach for patients to make that long-term change. So it's not just like a fad diet. It truly becomes a new lifestyle.
1: Would you say, Dr. Greger, the two most challenging things in lifestyle medicine, Health coaches, in helping people find their why, their motivation, I think is challenging because once people find their why, they can really run. And then as physicians, the hardest part is the deprescribing part. Once people find their why, it's amazing, especially with hypertension, how quickly they can come off medications. It's incredible. And it's tricky.
0: Yeah. And if you don't have that team kind of around you and and a physician involved to, to sort of warn people, like, I think it's amazing how sometimes patients will find you know, forks over knives, or they'll find a that video or a book or something that really like, you know, gets them excited. And that's awesome. Like if, if I can see on my schedule, somebody coming in because they want to talk about, you know, going whole food plant-based or they want to talk about more exercise, something like that's amazing. But the, the potential danger is if you are on a lot of medications for things like diabetes, hypertension, stuff like that, uh, if you go it alone and don't have somebody as a as a healthcare provider kind of um, helping to to supervise, you can end up feeling really awful because your blood pressure goes down or your blood sugar goes down, and you don't realize how quickly that can happen when you when
2: you change your your lifestyle. I've had people come on and talk about how they reversed their diabetes, for example, or how they were able to get off their medication, their high high blood pressure medication, and and they. Within like one or two weeks, depending, they're starting to notice a difference. And you're right. The physician has to know how to adjust the medications.
0: And I feel like that's one of the main roles or one of the a major role of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine is to try to train more physicians and, and advanced um, practitioners in this, the deprescribing, but also knowing that it's going to work. Because I've had uh, I've had patients go to other providers saying, hey, this is something I want to try. And those providers, just because they haven't had the experience of seeing that this can actually really, you know, change your blood pressure, change your blood sugar, can end up uh, really needing to lower medications quickly, Say they kind of like downplay the the likelihood of success. And that's not a helpful way to get a patient motivated or, or excited about doing this. So getting this information... Uh, Dr. McHugh made a, a comment about like, what will lifestyle medicine really be in the future? You know, what type of specialty? Is it going to be like cardiology? Is it going to be like primary care? It's going to be everything, you know, a, a little, little bit of both. It's definitely important that we get this information out to all physicians during their training, because if they aren't exposed to it and a patient comes and says, hey, you know, I really want to try this. I think it, it may really benefit my diabetes or something like that. If a physician says that's never going to work, don't do that. Then it's not going to. They're they're probably not going to be successful, or the patient is going to try it on their own, <laughs> and then become hypoglycemic because they didn't have anybody to kind of have as their as their uh, you know team their battle buddy in doing all this sorts of stuff. So in the same way that all of us as physicians are expected to know how to run a code, and we're expected to know you know how to manage uh you know you know basic basic medicine. We should know at least the principles of lifestyle medicine and that they can be successful, even if we don't end up doing a whole lot with that in our own practice, because our patients are going to talk to us no matter who, no matter what type of doctor you are, Your your patients trust your opinion and they're going to ask you questions.
1: I just want to add to it, end in every specialty. It's really important in primary care, but this is not just primary care. I think that if you understand this education that Dr. Gregan mentioned, you're going to bring it into your OB practice. A good friend of mine is an orthopedic surgeon. And I said, what's the risk for hip replacement? And she said, obesity, obesity, obesity. We've really got to kind of put this into every specialty. Uh, And I think that we're making some progress, but we need to make a lot more.
2: I want to add, and it's in addition to what both of you have just said, but it's about, you know, physicians and why they don't necessarily prescribe food or exercise as medicine. Um, and, And please... Uh, feel free to add more to that. But um, and I'm thinking one of them first is they're just not informed. The other thing is not really believing that patients would be interested. You both would probably agree that most people want to improve their quality of life. Most people want to feel better.
0: You know, Maya, I think what you're pointing out with all that is also the concept of therapeutic dose. This is something we talk about a lot in lifestyle medicine because you're saying that a physician is maybe or another provider is maybe saying my patient's not going to do that there, you know, like or that they, they might want to but it's not going to work, you know. And I would argue this is one of my my things that I say to the medical students and residents. I say if somebody comes into your ER and they're in fluid congestive heart failure. Their pulse ox is like 86. percent You know that you need to diurese them. If you take 10 milligrams of Lasix and you rub it on their skin, is it going to work? No, it's definitely not going to work. But it's not because Lasix doesn't work for congestive heart failure. It's because you didn't give it the right route. You didn't give a high enough dose. You know that you're, you're going to need to do it for a while. It's not just going to be that one dose. So it's the same thing with lifestyle medicine. Giving somebody a handout. Is something, but is probably not going to be enough to change behavior. Just telling people, like you said earlier, Maya, you know, oh, you should really exercise more. Well, that's not really a concrete like we like to talk about smart, smart goals or, or which are the the um, specific and measurable and achievable, relevant, time bound, or like a, a, an exercise prescription where you're actually talking to the patient about okay, in, in the course of your life, how could you see getting more physical activity into your life. All right, let's turn that into a goal. You know, maybe that goal is I am going to walk 15 minutes after dinner with my spouse, at least five days a week or something like that. that that's very specific. Um, you need to provide the supportive long-term um system and and ongoing support, ongoing relationship with a patient for them to have successful behavioral change. Not everybody. Some people can do it on their own, which is amazing. But most people need that, not just a tell you once and I'll see you in three months kind of thing. So there was an interesting study that we talk about with our lifestyle medicine residency curriculum residents that looked, well, two studies, you compare them. One is a group of people who just had a heart attack. So they had like a wake-up call, right? Like they had a serious thing happen. They just had their MI. They were um, uh, discharged from the hospital on the drugs that you would expect, you know, their statin and their their ACE inhibitor and their aspirin and their beta blocker. And they're like, that's all the right stuff. That's what they should do. And when you look at them in 18 months, only 70% of them were still taking those medications. So 30% had stopped completely. And they had just had a heart attack, right? Like I'm pretty serious. All right. So then look at a different cohort of patients who went through um, a very intensive therapeutic lifestyle change program, three months, had group visits, you know, had had like one to two sessions a week for part of it, and then spread it out more uh so that they actually, you know, started to wean off that intensive support. And they looked at them 18 months later. About 70% of the behaviors that they had changed and said, hey, this is what I'm doing, you know, like right at the end of the program, they were still doing 18 months later. So what I say to medical students and residents is patients may not do what we ask them to do no matter what it is. It might be pills. It might be lifestyle change. It's up to us as physicians to create the programs and the relationships and the the ongoing kind of like touch points to help them. Meet those goals and continue with if it's their medication that they need that they're still taking it. But from a lifestyle medicine standpoint, that these behaviors become a part of their everyday normal, you know, life. And then they will maintain them over time. And that's stuff that I don't think many physicians have learned. We think drugs will work because we wrote them. That doesn't necessarily mean that patients are actually going to take them. And we think that patients won't change their lifestyle because we haven't seen it successfully happen. We're not doing a high enough therapeutic dose. Dr. McHugh, what do you think?
1: I I just want to jump jump in and, and say also, realize that you have to, as a provider or as a patient that cares about this, arm yourself with as much information as possible. And that's what the workshop is for. When our patients walk out the door, they're getting subjected to a barrage of disinformation. I was just reading a book that someone in one of the other lifestyle medicine MIG groups recommended called Seeking Hunger about the benefit of time-restricted eating for weight loss. It's a fantastic book. And the author said, no one makes a penny from this. Hunger, fasting, there's no money in it. And just as I was putting the book down, I saw a commercial on TV. Do you know there's a pill that you can take instead of eating fruits and vegetables? I can't remember the name of it. It's something like uh, to help people who who don't want to bother with eating fruits and vegetables every day. I mean, this is what our patients are seeing all day long. Right? And so we've got to be as well-informed as possible to help them with that behavior change that Dr. Craig is talking about.
2: And the one thing that I want to add here that was one of the points that I think maybe Dr. McHugh had added is that rediscovering your passion so rediscovering the reason that you chose medicine in the first place. Well, that's because it's so energizing to see people get better. That's right. You know,
0: in general, that's not something we really see a whole lot of in medicine. Like we we slow down this train wreck that people are having in their in their health, but we don't see them like get better a lot of times. And that's I think why people one of the reasons that people get so energized, uh as a physician is, wow, now I'm actually seeing people getting better instead of increasing their insulin or increasing their, uh, blood pressure medications or, oh yeah, now they've had their second you know, cabbage. And what does that mean? That means there's no more like, uh, plumbing really left. So now what are we going to do? And uh, so I feel like there's a lot of, um, rejuvenation in most doctors wanted to be healers. That's what we went into medicine to be. So to be able to really see that play out in front of you is awesome. But the other thing about lifestyle medicine, I think that really rejuvenates practitioners is it really does focus on the relationships between people. And that's another thing that is very healing for the physician, To feel like they're spending time with their patients, seeing them get better, knowing them as human beings, you know, and that's something that that is supposed to be a part of all medical specialties, but has sometimes kind of gone by the wayside as we get into our productivity measures and RVUs and, you know, how many people need to get into your office today. Lifestyle medicine really kind of says, no, it's not going to work that way. You got to figure out a way to do it that you're either seeing patients more frequently, seeing them in groups, having inter visit uh, connections, whether that's you or your staff. You got to look at a different way of doing it. And that way of doing it is much more satisfying for physicians, I think.
1: Going back to what you were saying, Dr. Greg, you know, one of the re- reasons I'm more energized is I'm a better listener. Now that I know more of the things that actually cause change for patients. I had only learned about pills and procedures in medical school. But after I started coming to these conferences, I learned about all the other parts that go into patients' lives to make that kind of change. And it's much more fun to listen to them and really work with them than just write them a prescription and walk out the room.
2: Yes. So let's um, let's talk about how people can register for the conference. If you're a member
0: of ACLM, before the conference starts, You have a significantly decreased uh, um, registration fee, but the conference website is lmconference.org and you can register through there. It's November uh, 13th through 16th. And it's at the Rosen Shingle Creek Hotel in Orlando, Florida. The pre-conference workshops actually start Saturday, November 12th. So, you know, come hang out for the whole time. Why not? Like show up on Friday, make a, make a vacation of it. But we do want people to know that we are capping attendance at 1,900 people. And we do expect that it will sell out. Our last conference in 2019 sold out. And now we've been virtual for two years. So I think there's a big pent-up demand And I would recommend for people definitely register early because we expect that the in-person part will sell out. There is also a virtual uh, option. So you can choose to not come in person, but still be able to uh, see the conference. You won't be able to see all of the sessions at the same time because... You know, Some of them are happening concurrently, but you would at least be able to see the keynotes and then you would have access to the recordings, just like people who are in-person attendees. And
1: virtual is great. I mean, I think that there's a lot, you can save a lot on hotel, you can save a lot on airfare. It's a wonderful way to do it. Only thing I need to do for myself is block my calendar. Make sure that I have nothing else that's going to get in the way if I'm going to do it virtually.
2: I'm so excited that I will finally be- meet both of you in person in November. Um, do you have any, and by the way, you're, you were both part of the planning committee to make in in terms of making this conference happen. So congratulations for how you put together all of the sessions, because like I said, there's a lot that I'm interested in and I already have my list. Do you have any final words for our listeners?
1: The only thing I would say is it's a little bit like when you go to that salad bar at Whole Foods and you only get one box and there's so much you try to get into that box. I mean, Dr. Greg, you and I really try to look at diversity. We try to cover all the different pillars, people from different backgrounds, people from diverse backgrounds, and really get as much variety as possible. You can't eat the entire salad bar in the first pass, but uh, I'm sure you're going to get a great meal. That's all I'll say. <laughs>
0: I love that! That's awesome. Yes, Doctor McHugh is absolutely right. We tried to put on this massive buffet, and and uh, he and I were part of the conference planning committee. But we also had a bunch of other, you know, fabulous uh, people who were a part of the process. So we have a diverse group of opinions that looked at uh, the different the different submissions, and our goal was really variety this year. So there is definitely something for everyone. And I think the most important part is actually. Uh, As Dr. McHugh said, virtual is awesome, but if you do virtual, make sure you block your schedule so you have yourself some time. If you're there in person, then you're like immersed in the experience and it's a lot easier to kind of just have those moments of epiphany where you're like, wow, this is exactly what I want to do or this is what I want to take back. Mm -hmm. So both are really great. One of the things that I find most uh, rejuvenating is whether it's virtual or whether I'm there in person is making sure that I give myself some space to process what I'm learning at the conference, right? Because it comes at you fast and furious. There is so much (laughs) stuff going on. So making sure that you have a little bit of space to process, okay, how is this going to change? The way i see medicine or the way i see my patient care what are some of the things that i can can do to be able to to take this home and use it and that's another reason why it's so important to be a part of the american college of lifestyle medicine is because we have this massive conference this is great but there's stuff year-round that are happening that are like the member interest groups and and the um the webinars and other things that you can just kind of have those touch points to sort of make you go, yeah, that's right. That's why I really love doing this type of medicine, or that's why I, this is so effective. So I think that the best part is just going to be able to, wherever you are, unplug from your regular life for a couple of days and immerse yourself into lifestyle medicine. And I think you will be very glad that you did.
1: Can I give one piece of advice for the in-person and one piece of advice for the virtual people? For the in-person people, please do come to our Women's Health Member Interest Group. We are going to have a luncheon. I don't know if the date's been confirmed yet, but I think we had over 100 people the last time, and that was back when we were smaller a few years ago. If you're going to do virtual, please treat yourself to some amazing meals if you can't be with us in person. So pre-plan something and, and, and do something to really kind of recharge and rejuvenate and process, as Dr. Greg has said, with some good food
2: during the conference, that's where the interest groups come together as well, if they want to. And so I'm so looking forward to the women's interest group. I love being part of that group.
0: Yeah. And there is a vast variety now of member interest groups in in lifestyle medicine, everything from the sleep member interest group, the geriatrics, the nurse practitioners, the dieticians, the pharmacists, The it's it, that has really grown. So I feel like uh, one of the most important pieces of coming in person is getting to actually find that tribe that is, is your tribe in medicine. And now there's a member interest group to support ongoing contact throughout the year. Most of the groups usually meet either monthly or quarterly. And then they also have a, like a a member interest group board. It's, we call it ACLM connect where people can talk to each other, uh, on a, like a social media platform and give each other advice and let each other know about, you know, cool, cool, either, um, journal articles or conferences or other things that are coming up so that you do have that community. And I think that's a a really important piece of those member interest groups. So if you come in person, look at the agenda and find out there's going to be member interest group meetings at before breakfast, at lunchtime, all over the place, tons of them. Pick a couple, see where
2: you feel at home. Excellent. Okay, Dr. John McHugh and Dr. Megan Grega. it was a pleasure having you. Thank you for getting us all excited about the conference. And thank you for the work that you do individually to support people like myself and patients. So thank you so much. Thank Thank you. you, Maya. So there you have it. What a wonderful conversation with Dr. John McHugh and Dr. Megan Grega. And if you couldn't hear it in my voice, I am even more excited about the conference that's coming up in November. I would love to hear from you. What did you think about this conversation? We talked about how important it is for physicians to get on board and learn about the lifestyle medicine pillars. We talked about how we can empower individuals like yourself, like me, to take control of our health. We talked about Community and coming together um, at the conference and connecting with each other. I talked about collaboration and how important that is. We also mentioned the speakers that will be at the conference. There was so much content that we talked about. Health equity is also a topic that uh, will be addressed at the conference. I mentioned that the Women's Health Interest Group is going to have a pre conference workshop and that other interest groups will also be meeting up at the conference. So, Let me know what you think about this conversation. Are you just as excited? Are you on board with Lifestyle Medicine? Now you can send me a voicemail. Simply visit this link. It's speakpipe.com forward slash HLS. And I'll include the link in the show notes as well. This is a wonderful way for you to send me a voicemail for a chance to be played in a future episode or just give me feedback about today's episode. If you have a question, you can also leave it there and I can also broadcast it in a future episode. And as always, thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast with your host, Maya Acosta. If you've enjoyed this podcast, do us a favor and share with one friend who can benefit from this episode. Feel free to leave an honest review as well at ratethispodcast.com forward slash HLS. This helps us to spread our message. And as always, thank you for being a listener.